Hey, good morning. It is good morning because we started early today. It's not 12, it's 11. So good morning, everyone. Um, if you're up after your hangover from watching uh, the football game yesterday, where basically we were rooting for one billionaire family who owns uh, the Chiefs and one billionaire family who owns the 49ers, and we kind of rooting to see which billionaires won. And now we're like, all you know, drank a lot, ate a lot. And so I'm not sure if everybody is going to be here or paying attention or still sleeping or getting over their hangover, but I am here. We are here and we are, we are here to help everybody. So for today's, for today's episode, we, I want to pick up where we left off on Thursday. And we would, for those who are here again, watching, uh, or those who are new to the show, basically we're talking about really what goes on behind the scenes when you're interviewing for a job, when you're in the uh, interview process, when let's say you're in a current job, there's a lot of things that you step back and say, why is this happening? This is really weird. Why, why, I don't get how come I can't get another interview or why am I not getting the offer or why are they telling me such and such when I know I have the skills and background. And it's very frustrating, particularly for people who are looking for a job and in between jobs, it's really stressful and frustrating when you kind of um, like don't really know like what is happening. Like, why am I not getting the job? Why am I not getting the interview? Why am I not getting called back? What's happening? And so I'm going to shed a little light. Let me get, this is good. And this is some insights from being a recruiter being the CEO of a search firm for 25 plus years, placing literally thousands of mid to senior level executives, myself and my team, not just, you know, me, um, primarily on Wall Street and also writing for Forbes and doing this podcast and the Blind Ambition podcast. So what happens, you, you learn a lot about what's really going on. So it's not theory, you know, you're immersed in it and let, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. Just, 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 just arbitrarily. Oftentimes, oftentimes, uh, a recruiter might reach out or an HR person, or you respond to an ad, and it's a temp, you know, it says temp to perm. And then the person with whom you're interacting from the company is usually, oh, yeah, temp to perm. Yeah. But trust me, Jack. Yeah. It's, I know it's temp to perm, and we're, we're talking about three months maybe, or six months, it could even be a year, but then, you know, but then I'm sure you're going to do a great job, Jack, and we're going to, we're going to then put you into a permanent role within the company. So, so you just have to, you know, be that temp for a while, and I'm sure you're going to be amazing, and then you're going to be you're going to be full-time, permanent, benefits, health insurance, bonuses, raises, hire, you know, everything. Sounds great, right? But we know what happens. More often than not, instead of getting the temp to perm, you get the, oh, did I... Now, we didn't say you're definitely going to get a permanent role. We didn't say it's, 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 you know, secure. We didn't say, oh yeah, you're going to get it. This is like, you know, now it's temp and maybe, maybe possibly you could all of a sudden it's revisionist history. Well, well, yeah, we were saying maybe, yeah, if everything works out and everything is, you know, you, you're a rock star and whatever, and then you could become permanent. And then so you, so basically you're telling me I'm never going to be a permanent employee here. And you made me believe that I could be a permanent employee, but that really was never in the cards. You were just using me. And I had the skills in the background more so 
than you needed. So you took advantage of me. And now when you don't need me, you're like, no, well, you could stay as a temp. That's fine if you want to. But uh, yeah, I don't think we're going to convert it over to perm. Cold-blooded. And this is not uncommon. There's a theme. There's a theme that you'll notice as we're talking about this, and you could kind of look back at your history in terms of interviewing, getting jobs, moving within the organization, that the company and its representatives will make all these promises. They'll say all the, the sweet nothings, whisper these sweet nothings in your ear about how everything could be great, but then they don't do it. And when they don't do it, they fall back and say, they'll gaslight you. They'll say, and for people who aren't aware of the term gaslighting, meaning they'll blame it on you, right? You're the victim, but they'll blame it on you. It's, it's your fault, not our fault. So they'll say, no, I never said you're going to get that permanent job. Oh, I never said you were going to get that promotion. I never said you're going to get that huge raise. I'm not sure where you got that from. So for people who have bumped into this, so number one, you're not alone. This is happening. This has happened for years and years and years. And it's very frustrating and it's really unfair. So my, my suggestion to you, whether you have a temp to perm role or any other thing, you want to get it in writing. You need the company, this, you need to go to the company and its representative and say, hey, I want in writing. If you're saying I'm going to get a certain bonus amount, if you're saying I'm getting a certain salary, if you're saying I'm getting a certain amount of stock or stock options, you can't just leave it verbal. The company is going to want it to be verbal because then they can later on say, oh, I didn't say that. I didn't know that. So get everything in writing. And I know that's awkward. I know it's uncomfortable because if let's say you're speaking with the HR person or talent acquisition person or some, some senior manager executive with the company and they say, oh, don't worry. Yeah, we'll take care of you. And then you hit back, well, I want to writing. It makes it feel uncomfortable for the person because if you're basically saying, I don't trust you. So they don't do it. But trust me, it's worth <laughs> you have you have to get in writing because if not, you're gonna get screwed over. That happens all the time. Does it happen a hundred percent of the time? No. But does it happen often enough? Yes, that you need to make sure everything is in writing so that when it comes to time for your bonus, your raise, your promotion, the corporate title being upgraded, they can't say, oh, we never said that. You could then pull out the offer letter or whatever you know contract you have and say, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Look at this. You signed saying that this is what you're, we're going to do. We're gonna, I'm going to get a raise at a certain point, and here's what the raise would be. I'm, I'm entitled to a bonus. And bonuses, by the way, this, they pull this all the time. You interview for the job. You get the offer. You get the salary. Salary, okay, set. Getting 150000 salary, whatever it is. But then when it comes time for the bonus, They'll say, well, we don't have a definite bonus policy. Usually it's maybe about 10 to 20%, something in that range. And then the job, the job seekers say, well, okay, what am I going to get the 20%? Am I going to get the 10%? Then they give you this song and dance. Well, it depends. Like you started in the middle of the year. So if you get a bonus, it's going to be prorated because you're only working half a year. And then you're working half a year. Time goes by like, well, you're only half a year. So ah, we're looking at performance. It's hard to really give you that bonus because even if we prorated, it took a two, three, four months to get up the learning curve 
So your bonus is going to be very de minimis. It's just going to be really small. You're like, what? For some reason, companies use these bonuses and they play a game because come on, these companies aren't stupid. When you're dealing with large, global, multi-billion dollar organizations, they know what they're doing. They purposely just throw out, oh, bonus, you know, there's a bonus. And very rarely do they give the exact number of the bonus. Now, to play devil's advocate, may, it is fair to say that for com from a company's perspective, if you guarantee a certain bonus and you don't deliver, you don't meet expectations, you don't exceed expectations, the company is like, hey, why did I give you this bonus? We got ripped off because you didn't live up to what we thought. So there is some fairness in putting that out there. However, more often than not, they just throw out, oh, bonus eligible, they give a range, they dance around it. And then what happens, you know, let's say you started January 2nd. By the time you go for a full year, when you get your review, they forget about what you guys talked about. Time goes by, everybody remembers things differently. It's no different than relationships. When, when you deal with people like, oh, I remember it this way. Oh, really? I remember it this way. Be really careful, really smart. Make sure you get in writing. And even if the conversation is going to be difficult when you're dealing with a hiring manager directly or a, an HR person, a senior level person, you could be respectful. You, you could be reasonable but you want to advocate for yourself so you don't end up three, six, nine months, a year later and feeling I just got screwed over. Here's another thing that's a big, that's, that's, that's a, a challenge for a lot of people. You go and tell me, tell me for people who have been through this, you go and you interview and you're doing really well and then you're hit with, well, sorry, Jack, you know, you're overqualified for the role. You're like, wait, isn't that a good thing that I'm overqualified? If I have the experience and I have the background and I have the knowledge and I could do the job and then some, because I have more experience, why wouldn't you want to hire me and pay me more? Or if I'm open to taking less money, why wouldn't why why wouldn't you hire me for less money? I don't. It doesn't make any sense. So what ends up happening? I think what happens a lot when a person, when a interviewer, hiring manager says you're overqualified, you got to read between the lines. In my opinion, it could be a few different things. It could be a little bit of ageism, where maybe it's not you're overqualified. They're a little prejudiced because maybe you're in your late 30s, 40s, 50s. And really what they're saying is, hey, Jack, you old man, we don't think you're going to be up to the task. You're not going to be up to date with all the new technologies. And so, yeah, we're not going to hire you. Or and this is something we could talk about later too, you're not the cultural fit, meaning that we want a whole bunch of young people who are gonna run through brick walls and do whatever the boss says because you're not paying that much and they're just starting out their career and they can't afford their apartment and they can't afford the rent and they can't afford their, their, their iPhones and all the other stuff. So they're gonna just work their butts off to do it and they're thinking, hmm, so an old Jack, this old guy, well, he might not have that problem, so he may not work as much, so he's overqualified, which is ridiculous, right? If you think about overqualified. So so if let's say, you know, there you, you, you know, you could come there and you could do that job and do it well, but you're not gonna do it. And a lot of they don't want to pay the money because they feel if somebody is at a certain level, 
the overqualified level, then it's going to cost more, and they don't want to pay it. They also have this bias that if you have more experience, you're going to then start being, hmm, you know, you've got to listen to me. I've been doing this for 25 years. I know everything. And then if you have a manager who doesn't have a lot of self-confidence, they're intimidated. Rather than feeling, hey, if I get a very experienced person on my team, that's great. That's more help for me. But you would need to be a confident manager. And unfortunately, there are all too many bosses, supervisors, managers who lack confidence in themselves. So what ends up happening, if you find somebody who's overqualified, really what they're saying is, I'm worried that I'm going to be I'm going to be out, I'm going to be hung out to dry that kind of an imposter that you're really not that great. And now if you find somebody who's overqualified, but let's change the de definition. It's not really overqualified. You're super qualified. You're above and beyond qualified. And that intimidates them. They're scared. They're afraid that you're going to take over their job and make you irrelevant. So what ends up happening, they say thank you, but no thank you, which is bizarre. It's almost like if you drive up with a Rolls Royce, right? And, or, or you want to buy a Rolls Royce, and they're going to give you a crazy discount. But you're like, no, no, I don't want that discount. That's, they're doing the same thing. It's nuts. But I do get in the corporate world and now that I bring it up, I guarantee a lot of people have faced this. They didn't get the job because the manager lacks the confidence and selfish self-assuredness so that they feel they have somebody who comes in who's more knowledgeable, who really knows their stuff. They're going to be shown that like they're not so good. And they may even feel they may lose their job. So they rather get somebody who's maybe a C player. So they're not worried. They're not intimidated. They could boss that person around. They could they put out their chest and have that big ego because, you know, they're not worried now. They're still the big dog. They're in charge of everything. Another thing, let's, let's, let's talk about, this is a, a, a lighter topic. When you look at the salary bands, you know, now that a lot of states are requiring that you have to put the salary on the job descriptions, we've all seen this. The salary bands are so wide. It could go from 50,000 to 500,000. They're making a mockery of it. But the problem comes in when sometimes it's not such a big gap. Let's say the salary band is 100 to 150. The, psycho the psychology for a job seeker is it's one to 150. They're going to they're going to feel and, and and let's say for the sake of conversation, they're correct in their judgment that I have all the skills, the background, the experience that the job description requires. So if there's a range from 100 to 150, I should get that 150. So when it comes time to negotiating, you're going to anchor to that 150 feeling you deserve it. Meanwhile, the company is going to anchor to that 100, 105, 110. So you go through the whole interview process feeling that it's only reasonable because you're self-assured in your skills, your background, your experience, you know your worth, that you should get the 150. And it's on the bands who, you know, why wouldn't you be able to get that 150? But when it comes time for the offer, you'll get an offer of like, hey, Jack, I'm really excited 
to present you an offer. Everyone loved you. You're great. We want to give you an offer of $110,000. And then you're like, what? What? Like, a hundred? You gave the range from one to 150. Have you seen my resume? Of course, you've seen my resume. Have you seen what I've done? Have you seen my You know, my recommendations. Why? Like, why? You're lowballing me. <laughs> you're, you're you're low. Like, I went through three six interviews over the course of six months. And now you're giving me a lowball offer? That's unconscionable. And this happens all the time. Because, and, and I, in this is, I don't want to do the blame game, but the same way I mentioned before, when you want it in writing, when, when you're interviewing for a job and you get that salary band, that one to 150, Early on in the process, you want to speak with whoever is the point person or point persons involved with the whole hiring process. You want to let them know, say, hey, hey, Christine, I see that the salary band is one to 150. I feel that I should be on the upper end of the band. And for negotiation purposes, I would say, why not start with the 150? In fact, even though it says up to 150, if you really feel you had the background experience and all that kind of good stuff, you can even say, I know the salary band says 150, but I really do feel that I should be getting 170 based on my background, my experience, what's going on in the market, how tight it is. There are not a lot of people who have my skill set. So there's nothing wrong with pushing it. So you 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 want to so you can push it. And when you negotiate, you always want to ask maybe 10, 15, 20% more of what you really, what more than what you really feel you can get. So it gives a margin of negotiation. So you don't want to negotiate where it's from like 105 to one. You want to like have a spread so that when you negotiate it, you get room, you start higher, not ridiculous, crazy hires. Not like you go, they give you to 150 and you're asking for 200 or 250. No, you give it enough that it's kind of reasonable and maybe you could do it. And, and so you do it. But that's one aspect of it. The other aspect, you want to make sure early on when you speak to whoever the powers that be, you know, I see the salary goes to 150. Based on my resume, my experience. And let's say you went on a, you, you already started with a couple of interviews, you met a couple of people. And based on the knowledge you have about me now, I wanna make sure before we go forward, I see myself, to be frank, I see myself actually deserving more than the 150. I'm thinking more of 160, 170. What is your opinion? So this way we don't end up having four, five, six more interviews, having me jump through hoops, going through obstacles, writing reports, doing all this other stuff, taking up everybody's time just to find out it's not going to work. So can you let me know in good faith where I would fit on that bet? Now, it's an awkward thing. They could come back and say, Jack, I really feel you're only... You, know, you should just only get 110 or 120. Then you can have a little haggling. And if they're dead set for it, and let's say you have another job or you have other offers lined up, you may say, hey, thank you very much. You know, I appreciate your honesty, but I'm going to pull out of the running because I don't feel that you're offering what I deserve. You know, thank you. No hard feelings. And there really is no habit because this way you know, right? You didn't waste any more time. You know, use a little bit of time, but that's okay. But you didn't waste an inordinate amount of time and you found out and you moved on. What happens to most people, they're embarrassed, they're, they're, they're weirded out to do what I just mentioned. So they just hope and pray that when it comes time for the offer, you're going to get the higher on that band which is a dangerous thing to do because more often than not, you're not going to get it. 
You're not going to get it. And then you go through the whole time and energy. You go through that emotional roller coaster and you end up not getting what you wanted. So it's a waste of your time. It's a waste of their time. It just, it just doesn't make any sense. So early on, don't just trust them and say, oh, don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. You know, you know, we think you're good. You're probably going to get the upper end. Make sure you can really get a commitment before you spend all that time and energy going through it just to find out you're not getting the money you wanted. There's something called backdoor references. You got to be careful of this. When companies are moving forward and they want to, you know, thinking of hiring you, usually they ask for letters of recommendations and things like that. But I'm not sure if you're aware of this. This happens a lot. They'll, they'll snoop around. They'll see, let's say, they'll go to people, you know, the hiring manager will go to people on their team and say, hey, I think you know somebody, you know, who, you know, worked, you know, with Jane. Maybe can you, like, what, what can you find out about her? And you seek the assistance of others, too, to kind of do some digging and find out, like, hmm, you know, find out, like, what's, what's, what's going on with them? Like, what's, you know, what can we learn? And you're at risk. Give you an example. This happened to me about, about a year or so ago where this really nice guy, really accomplished, smart, personable, great at what he did, interviewing for a job. Some people who he worked with in the past who for whatever reason had some animosity worked at the current company and they sabotaged him. They went to HR and said, oh, you're looking to hire, you know, Joe? Oh my God, let me tell you about Joe. I got to tell you what. And then they'll say things, maybe true, maybe not true, but they stop, like they just, they destroy it, you know? Because if you're an HR person, a hiring manager, and you get whiff of somebody saying, oh, we, not just one person, but a couple people might do it. And a little kind of, you know, dogpile gang, you know, thing going on and that you find out that they, they they poison the well and now if you're hr or a hiring manager and you get a couple people saying oh i know joe and yeah we work together i wouldn't recommend him here's what he did this he did that now if you're an hr person you're a hiring manager you're an interviewer you're you don't want to why would you take that risk now now they know maybe it's true maybe it's not but it's so much easier, particularly in a market, you know, that's, that's, that's kind of, you know, tough. So it's, you know what, there are plenty of people looking for a job. I don't need this aggravation. I don't need this to worry because let's say I do give the thumbs up to hire this person. It doesn't work out. Then everyone's going to blame me. Like, why did you hire this person? We already knew from folks who he worked with in the past, they said not good things about him. You're an idiot, Jack, for, for making that hire. And now you're in political danger of your job because you're thinking like, what the hell's wrong with you? Not only do they kind of do that snooping around, they also are going to look at your social media footprint. In today's day and age, where everything is so politicized, when everybody is so on edge, everybody's like digging on their team, you know, whether you're a liberal, whether you're conservative, whether you're Republican, you're Democrat, you're this, that, whatever. It's, it, we all know it's like out of control, right? It's out of control. So you want to be careful. Whatever you post online, keep in mind the people who are involved with the interview process are going to check it out. I like to believe that most people are nice and reasonable and kind and considerate. But there are a lot of people who aren't. 
So my advice is that you may love, you know, Biden, you may love Trump, you may love Nikki Haley, you may love, you know, Vivek, whatever. That's fine. But unfortunately, in today's day and age, you don't want to go overboard with being, I am hardcore MAGA, I am hardcore woke, I am hardcore this. And I know you're thinking, say, wait, why should I censor myself if that's what I believe? Well, you're right. You shouldn't censor yourself. I am an advocate for free speech. But I'm also a realist. So if I know that people are going to look at what you write, what you say, you know, what you post, and knowing the climate we're in, that it could alienate, you know, 50% of the people who you're going to interview with, why would you put yourself in that spot? I would say avoid it as much as you can. And I know it sounds like in America, we shouldn't be like this. I'm not the kind of guy to pretend that things are what they, you know, <laughs> what they are. Like it is what it is. So you're 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 better off being careful because you could end up not getting the job because either some wokeista said, "Oh my God, look what Jack put down. What he wrote about. Uh, there's no way we should hire him. He's terrible." Or if he works at the company, we should get rid of him. He's terrible. Or look at this person. He's from MAGA. And oh my, he's terrible. It's a sad state of affairs that I have to say this, but you got to look after yourself. Put politics aside, unfortunately, in this particular instance, because it's more important you get that job and you keep that job for yourself and for your family. I hate that it is this way, but I'd be a hypocrite if I said, don't worry about it. And speaking of this, another touchy topic is DEI, where I can't tell you how many white men, white women who are maybe from 40s to 50s or what have you come to me and say, this is reverse risk. Yeah discrimination. I'm just not getting any job orders offers. I'm not getting any, you know, I'm not being invited to interview. Like what's going on here? Now, with, I think DEI is great. You know, to have diversity in the workforce is great. As long as everybody who you hire is right for the role and has the background and experience, makes sense. Fine. We'll let the best person win. But what happens, I once again, I can't ignore reality. For over the last few years, when I hear, when I get emails, texts, people say to me, Jack, what the heck? This is what's going on. I'm being discriminated against. And then they don't want to report it because then they're worried like, how are they going to view me? And it just it's, it's a, becomes a really untenable situation. And I hate to say it, but for a lot of people who are of a you know certain age, of a certain complexion, and they feel that they're not being asked for interviews, this is a thing. Very unfair, very wrong, but it's going on. So for those who fall into that category who aren't getting those interviews or not getting those offers. This is one of the reasons, not, you know, the sole reason because we're talking about a lot of different things, but that's something that is going on and that's inhibiting your career. For a lot of people, they're going to say, oh my God, how can you, how dare you? But what am I saying that's so wrong? I mean, come on, we all know this. The only people who don't know it are pretending that it doesn't exist. Another thing we have to do is this. Another thing we could take a look at, and similar, is the cultural fit. How many times have you interviewed where they said, well, the feedback, and unfortunately, people don't get feedback 
or you know, constructive criticism, which is really bad because you want to get that so you can improve when you interview. And fortunately, you don't have that too much, but you get something sometimes where they'll say, well, Jack, you're not a cultural fit. And that's kind of a weird catch-all because really in, in, in one way, they're just saying, hey, we want to get someone who's just like us. You know, and now you can say, Jack, you're a hypocrite because this sounds like very much what you're just railing against with the DI, which <laughs> is true. So, so they say, cultural fit, we want to find people who are all kind of the same that fit in together. And, and we want to have somebody who, you know, you know, you know, thinks the same way we do, comes from the same schools and all that. And that's a problem too. You know, I'm, I want to be fair. I want to be fair and open-minded on both sides. So that when you get, you know, picked because of maybe nepotism, because perhaps you have a relative who's in a high place within the organization, um, whether you have some really high-powered insiders who are advocates for you, um, who are pulling for you, that happens where you do get the interview because of that. But that's not fair either, because somebody could have better skills, better experience, better resume, better qualifications, but because for whatever reason, they, they don't, that square doesn't fit into that square box. So they don't get it. And that happens too. Now that's a rough thing. How do you have that culture? Do, do you try to pretend to fit in? Maybe to get a sense of what goes on with the company, what they say, what they wear. Do you have to put on that Patagonia vest to fit in if you're going to work for an investment bank? These are the things that get ha that happen behind the scenes. These are the things that we're being judged by. Christine, I know we talked about a lot. Any, anything like big thing I'm missing? No, I just was thinking about the last thing that you touched upon, like the homogenous environment. And you always see that blow up like very spectacularly where like a decision gets put through, let's say like a marketing campaign or something. And you're like, did no one speak up? Did no one realize that this was messed up? And it's just because, you know, a lot of times these companies, they create like an echo chamber and just like, yes, people. And they don't have like the diversity to say like, um, this is messed up. We should look mm -hmm. at this again. What else do you think? Like anything else that comes to your mind in terms of you know, what we're talking about, where, where these things, just to watch out for what really happens behind the scenes, but we don't talk about. And this is, and this is what I want to like these LinkedIn's because we're grownups here. We could talk about these things without fighting and arguing. You know, we don't have to agree on it all. We don't mm -hmm. have to disagree at all, but I think by bringing these topics up makes it's different than these usual conversations. This way people could ex think for themselves, like, Hey, what's really going on. They could see what's behind the scenes and, you know, and, and it's that by not talking about things, you don't know, you know, nothing gets done, but by bringing it up, it's thought provoking. And then I'm sorry, go ahead, Chris. To, to go back to the distrust for companies, do you think that Gen Z is on to something by recording conversations with their employers? You know how you say, like, get it in writing. Gen Z is making sure to get it in, in recording. You know, that, I'm, I'm glad you brought it up. Because we talked, I think we, we had Valerie Vidala, who was amazing, on a LinkedIn Live talking about Brittany Peach. She was the one with Cloudflare. If, if you all remember where she recorded her being fired by these two disembodied voices who didn't know anything about her and basically, you know, got her on a Zoom call, sandbagged her and said, hey, basically, we're going to let you go. And she's like, whoa, 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 why? Give me the data. And they're like, well, we don't have any data. Well, then why are you here on this call? You don't even know who I am. What's going on? And it was really super cringy and awkward and, 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 you know, very uncomfortable for everybody involved, particularly Brittany. Um, so to go back to what you were saying, Christine, I have mixed emotions about it 
And what I mean by that is, let's take the, in certain states you can record mm -hmm. without someone's permission, others you can. I don't know offhand what states allow you to and what states don't. I feel, even if you feel aggrieved, I would feel very uncomfortable if somebody was recording me without my knowing, mm -hmm. when the first thing they could do is just ask me directly. You know, if there's no other paths, that's one thing. But if you could send an email, a text, a phone call. Now, maybe if you sent a text, a phone call, email, and I never get back, and then the person's like, well, how else am I going to get their attention? I'll do this. I'll record it. Mm -hmm. But to me, when you start doing something like that, it just, it, it, it almost, it gets this big brotherish kind of thing where now everybody has to worry every, think about it. Because if, if you go to, if you, if you move it forward, then you got to worry is then everybody be recording everybody else. And that's not a pleasant way to, to live your life within the corporate sector where you always have to worry no matter what you say, you're recorded. And then if you think you're going to be recorded every time, you're really not going to say anything of value because you're going to be afraid. And then you have, you're working in, in an area where you're constantly afraid that you're going to say something that's recorded that's, and then someone's going to run to HR and try to cancel you. Um, I'm more of a big believer in just talking things out like we're doing now. You know what I mean? Like we're, we, you have this conversation where some of the people who are listening might say for some of the things I bring up, like you, you don't know what you're talking about. You're completely wrong. And that's fine. That's cool. You know, having this discourse is important. But by the, doing, I'm sorry, go ahead, Chris. I was going to say the fear of being recorded is also why you get robotic answers like how the cloud flare um like hr team gave to her because it's almost like they were like we're not going to get caught saying anything wrong so we're not going to say anything at all and that leads that's really interesting you brought it up because that also leads to i think personally why we have this big problem with ghosting because in today's litigious society and as we were talking about a little earlier where you know, everybody has like this tribal instinct, you know, I'm this group, I'm that group, I'm whatever. And then what happens, it's, it's, it puts this weird thing where no one wants to say anything because let's say, you know, Hey, I don't want, you know, we're not going to choose Jack for the role. And then maybe just conversation. I'm like, huh, I think you said that because I'm old, I'm this, I'm that, I'm the other thing. And People like, just like you said, Christine, I think you're right that people are afraid, an HR person, a hiring manager, an interviewer, you know, a boss, whoever, they're worried, they're scared. And this is terrible that we, this is, this is how things are now. They're worried they might say something and they may be accused of being a racist, a sexist, an ageist, a thisist, a thatist, an anti-Semite, whatever. And so they start rationalizing and say, wait, if I say something and it's misconstrued, I'm I'm only making seventy thousand a year and I'm a single mom. I, like, I, what's gonna happen? You know, like, what am I gonna do? I, it's not worth the risk. If I lose my job, what am I gonna do? So, it's it's a really weird situation. It's, so it becomes easier not to say anything. It just goes. Now, I'm not advocating that's what you should do but I could understand how the environment got to this level where I would, I tell you like for myself, like why would I put myself out there that if I say something, not purposefully, but just comes across a certain way and now I'm canceled, lose my job, lose my livelihood. It's, I rather, might as well say I'm not going to say anything. And that's what ends up happening. There are instances of HR or like interviews asking legal questions though, isn't there? All yeah, a lot. You know, you know, whether I th I think it's got a little better, but yeah, you would find out, you know, turn back the clock a little bit, you would see this more like 
feeling out, hmm, are you pregnant? Are you, you know, planning on having a kid? Because then they start feeling, well, if you're having a kid, you're going to be out on maternal leave. Like, so why the heck am I going to hire you when you're not going to be around? Um, you do get stuff like that. You spoke to a tech executive on the blind ambition who said that. I, I don't know if I should name the company. I won't name yeah. them. Yeah, we don't blow anyone. No. <laughs> uh, um, where she disclosed that she was pregnant and then didn't get the job at this uh, big tech mm. company. I, you know, because I, you could imagine, I'm not saying it's right. And this goes to the whole theme of what we're talking about. It doesn't mean right, wrong. It's, this is, this is what goes on. So yeah, they may feel, Hey, she's going to be pregnant. That means like maternity leave and let's just get somebody who could start right away and be there. Um, yeah, that's these, this, this is a big, it's, that's, that's a big issue. That's a really big issue. Where, and it could be other things related to that too, right? Where, you know, how old are you? Are you married? Are, you know, do you have kids? Because then if you have kids, you got to worry, hmm, is this person going to be having, coming in late because I have to bring them to school? Are they leaving early because I have to pick them up from school? Uh, as a parent, my kids are older now, but when they were younger, they're always getting colds, <laughs> you know? So then you gotta, gotta go home and take care of them. So, hmm, do they feel out? Is this, does this person have kids? And if they do, maybe we'll keep looking. Yeah. As a candidate for the salary bands, is there a way to ask a company to quantify how they got to like that number to kind of disprove that maybe it's, discrimination yeah i would say you, you know that a person needs to advocate for themselves and ask and they they have to ask these tough questions and even if it's uncomfortable to say you know can you tell me why the salary band is at this where do i fit on the salary band what if you see on my such and such within this salary band why is that why am i there and not here these are rough conversations because it's like a, it's a power dynamic imbalance where, you know, you're the job seeker or you're working at the company and you, now you have to negotiate with your boss or senior people. And then if you negotiate with people who are higher up the chain, they have more of the power and the clout and all that. And you don't, and you don't want to come across like you're being a jerk or whatever, but you want to stand up for yourself, but it's, it's, it's not a level playing field. But you have to at least try. And what I so what I would suggest, you don't want to come in all angry, belligerent, accusatory. You want to be armed with data, with information. You want to be, again, it's terrible to have to talk this way, but you want to be when you talk to them, make them feel you're not attacking them. So this way, you could try to have a, a, a good conversation without getting everybody riled up, without getting angry, without getting the temperature brewing. It's not easy, it's an art. Because when people feel like, hey, I deserve this, and you're not giving it to me, immediately the emotions run high and it's hard to just be clinical about it because now you're running on that adrenaline and, and that anger. So you have to try your best, even though you're at a disadvantage to try to do what's right for yourself. Great advice. So I think that was a lot. <laughs> and I, I, I mean, this is kind of deep stuff. This is, this is more than the usual, like what you'll hear for career advice, you know, have a bring a copy of your resume, you know, have a firm hearty handshake. Uh, this goes into like turning, turning, you know, opening up, the, you know, the curtains, the kimono to see what's really going on. Now, I'm not saying everything I say is 100% right, but this is opinions that are formulated from 25 plus years of doing this kind of stuff to give some insights so that when you're looking for a job, when you're trying to advance your career, you kind of get a little bit more of like, hmm, 
I'm understanding the game and how the game is being played. Now I can kind of get why, even though I have all the experience, they're not hiring me, or maybe I'm not getting it because I'm not the right cultural fit and so forth. Now, sometimes they're not answers right away, but I think it's helpful that you get a better context of what's really going on so you could understand it. And then you could kind of maybe by understanding it, play the game a little better. So I, I hope I hope this was illuminating. I hope that for people who may have been struggling, like, why is this happening to me? What's going on? Provided a little bit of comfort to like, oh, I get it. It's not just me. This is happening to everybody. This is what's going on. And now I know some things maybe I got to kind of work on to battle back against these issues that I'm dealing with that I didn't even know that's, that's, that's something that I have to deal with. So hopefully this helped feel free to put any comments in, you know, um, you know, where we posted, uh, you know, the LinkedIn live, um, you won't hurt my feelings. If you say, Jack, you don't know what you're talking about. That's cool. I rather have more diverse, you know, comments across the board that could help, you know, everybody else who's watching this and listening to this and, and reading the comments and, also, any topics you're looking for in the future, let me know. Um, and as always, feel free. I'm kind of checking out this beta testing of career coaching, not just for myself, but I'm, I'm in touch with oh, probably 50, 100 career coaches, resume writers who I could introduce you to because the whole vibe of what we're trying to do is help people succeed, move forward, make things better, help give him all the, all, all the ammunition you need to succeed, all the tools to succeed. So thank you very much for watching. I really appreciate it. And um, I'll see you all tomorrow. Thank you very much.